Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic, Christian, and secular artistic works with David and Mark. Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic music, video, and art. I'm David Kasdan, a Messianic Jewish filmmaker, artist, and musician. I'm here with Michael Hunt, one of the founding members of Downpour. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. Everything's great here in North Carolina. Oh, nice. What's your musical background? Uh, when did you start playing uh, music, and what do you play? Man, I've been. It's been a part of my life since I was a little kid. I mean, my first experience with music goes way, 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 way back when I was before I was ten years old. I, I was uh, doing the air guitar thing in the in the mirror, and then uh, so my uncle caught me, and he bought me a little plastic kiss guitar. So I assumed. Just because I had this little plastic kiss guitar that I could play, and when I was in fourth grade, um, I was uh, a friend of mine. He, he was actually he played drums, and uh, we were invited to participate in the school talent show. And the kids that I was about to play with, they were all taught by their mother. You know, who was a music teacher. One played piano, the other played really well guitar the other one was the drummer and and me here i am i was like yeah i play guitar because my experience with the, the kiss guitar which i actually had no clue whatsoever how to play uh it was funny because my parents and the, and the music teacher they were they were both like well uh we don't want to break the kids heart so let's teach them how to play these songs and it was just basic stuff like uh the marine corps hymn and when the saints come marching in so i'd say my first experience playing the guitar was when I was in fourth grade, the fourth grade talent show. And then from there in fifth grade, I joined the uh, school choir. In sixth grade, I went to the school band. I played trumpet and several other brass instruments. And, and then I found the love for the guitar again, and I just forgot about everything else. And I'd say from eighth grade on, uh, really concentrated on the guitar. I mean, I used to sit for six, seven hours a day during the summertime and did nothing but play my guitar for six or seven hours. I mean, I, I know I used to drive my dad crazy, but, um, you know, I, I think it was time well spent. And I, as far as my musical background goes, of what I grew up listening to, um, I would say my mentors as a guitar player was always uh, guys like Randy Rhodes. Uh, he was a really big influence on me. Um, you know, the guys like Van Halen, uh, the two guitar players from Iron Maiden, uh, I just love the way they played, and, and the two guitar players from Judas Priest. Um, I know we're talking about some secular 80s kind of metal, but that's what I, I grew up on, and then I expanded from there. You know, So it just kind of, um, I, I guess I grew an appreciation for music. I used to, to think, okay, I'm, my goal was to be the fastest guitar player I could ever be. And uh, as I got older, those goals changed to wanting to be a better music writer and things of that nature. But uh, when I was 18 years old, um, I was just over some random guy's house. I don't even know who he was. And, and uh, I picked up their acoustic guitar. And come to find out, there, this was a band that actually played in this house. And um, 
they were that's where they practiced at and i guess they were in need of another guitar player i didn't really know any of this my friend knew him i was just kind of there hanging out with him i picked up the acoustic guitar and i just kind of started noodling away and then there's this guy in a loft just looking down at me and he's kind of smiling at me and i'm like hey what's going on he's like hey he starts talking to me like he knew me forever and uh i, I was kind of weirded out by it but uh he was like man you play pretty good and at the time i'd only been playing for like three or four years and uh you know i was 18 years old and these guys are in their early 20s maybe mid 20s and they said hey won't you come on by tomorrow and uh and audition for the band and and i thought they were joking with me so i just didn't pay it no mind uh the next day after work my friend called me hey how come you're not over to this guy's house i said well why would i want to go there they, you're supposed to try out for their band remember and i was like oh man i thought they was just joking no they're not so I went there and uh, I played with them and they accept me in a band. And that was my first experience as a band. The band was actually called Steel Faith. And uh, it was a really good band. It was kind of a progressive 80s metal sounding sort of thing and uh, kind of a la Queensryche sort of deal. And uh, I, I thought they were really good. But I tell you, ever since then, since I was 18 years old, as very rarely has it been since I have not been in a band. But, um, you know, most of the, the time that I spent in the 20s, in my, you know, my 20s, um, I pretty much, I picked up the bass guitar. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I picked up the bass guitar and played for a guy, some guys for about three or four years. And, and then from there, I, I went back to guitar and played in some more uh, secular hard rock original bands. Uh, a lot of different bands around the area. Played with uh, guys who have played with Ingve Malmsteen, Night Ranger, Quiet Riot. Uh, you know, played in a lot of play with a, a lot of bigger bigger acts as well. Um, I don't know if you ever remember a guy named Rick Derringer, but he was a rock and roll hoochie coo guy. But we play, I played with him. Uh, we opened up a show for him, and that's kind of how how everything was. You know, my aspirations were was to be a, a rock star, a signed artist. And uh, you know, we we really uh, the last band I was in was called Sumasha. Um, which still kind of we still have our music out there but um you know that band was so close to being signed we were, we were actually going to be picked up by a german label uh that this other band that we, a lot of the old bands from the 80s were kind of picked up by these guys uh bands like metal church and things like that and and uh so they the guy actually we actually were playing a show with the metal church and they saw us and, and the guy that's the front man of metal church was really impressed uh, how good we were and he wanted our CD and he said he gave us the business card to his A&R rep and and this and that and, and you know we got him a, you know, we was like well you know that's kind of weird because we just sent that company a package he was like well we're gonna I'm gonna talk to my A&R guy you guys deserve to be on our record label and uh, so I thought that was it you know it was time to go and our drummer was really flaky and kind of weird and, and you know he kind of dropped the ball and everything and my singer got mad and you know, when you're in a band, your destiny, especially in a secular world, your destiny's tied to all the guys that are in the band. Uh, you know, so we had four guys. It, I think we had four. No, it was five of us in that band. And uh, the drummer just was really flaky, and the singer uh, just decided to bail on the whole thing. He, he was upset that we kind of blew our, our chances there. And, you know, I just kind of, when I start looking back at all those sort of things, I start looking back, and I was like, you know, that's what I wanted to do, but I don't think that's what I know for a fact. That's not what God wanted me to do, and, and uh, you know He opened up different doors. But after Sumasha was over with, uh, I just started playing a bunch of cover bands, playing a lot of old uh, 
you know, big hair music, uh, playing more up-to-date stuff from the 90s and stuff from, you know, 2000, like Nickelback and things like that. And we were going into all these bars and clubs and and just playing and, and making good money, you know, as a, as a cover band. And uh, my idea of writing original music at that point in time was pretty much, I was I was kind of done with it. And, um, you know, I really just didn't have it in me anymore. I, you know, just so many... So many ups and downs in, in the different bands I had been in, and um, and then one day it's you know the, the Lord called me out and he just he called me out of all that stuff and uh, he pulled me it's like he just pulled me to the side and and I asked him I, you know, I really personally thought that music for me once I once I was born again music for me was done I didn't think there was no more room for music in my life because of what music was and you know I mean here here I am was kind of brought up in the 80s music scene, you know, the big hair rock and roll, all the flashy uh, guitars, you know, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll sort of picture. And uh, here, all of a sudden, I'm just feeling like I'm being tugged out of all that. And uh, finally, I just, you know, gave up. And I said, Lord, you know, use me for what it is that you want me for. And, uh, you know, you've given me all this talent. I recognize that and use it. Next thing I know, downpour forms, and uh, I'm in the band with these guys, and th that's just a whole other story how we even met. It was almost kind of a miracle how, how we even met as a band and, uh, and put the whole thing together. But that's kind of my musical background, you know. It's just uh, really kind of was born and bred on that 80s kind of guitar-driven rock. Well, that's excellent. Uh, that's an excellent response. Well, first, it's very impressive that you're practicing that you were practicing uh, so much uh, in high school for guitar. I mean, I guess you know, hopefully your studies didn't you, you know suffer because of that. But it's it's great that you had that uh, that goal to work towards. And I know that you know personally, I you know didn't practice like that, and I know that a lot of people didn't. But um, how much would you say with your guitar that it's uh, you know it's practice versus uh, um, you know, given talent. Well, you know, that whole given talent thing, some people just, you know, when it comes to singing, I would say there are some people out there that just have it naturally. And then there's others that just really need to work at it. And, uh, with guitar playing, I don't think there's anybody that just has it. That just, uh, cause guitar playing is such a technical job. You know, it's, a, it's such coordination is involved between the left and the right hand. And, in, in your mind, um, I think no matter who you are, you have to start at the bottom, which means you've got to get that coordination right. You got to get your up and you got to get your right hand moving with the pick, and you got to get your left hand coordinating with that that picking hand. You know, so uh, so I would say for me, music had I, I guess and I don't know music had always been a part of who I am. I guess. Uh, I guess as far as that's concerned, that has been the natural part, uh, just music being a part of my soul. is just a part of my genetic makeup. Um, once I started getting into it, it was just something I knew that I would never stop doing. And uh, even before I got married, my wife knew you know, who I was and, and what I did. And, and I even told her, I said, you know, I might stop playing in these cover bands and this and this and that. I said, but, you know, some music will never leave. I'll always play music. But as a guitar player, uh, I would say my first year, um, I just sat in my room and made noise. You know, really no cohesive sense whatsoever. Just made noise. Uh, my dad would come and knock on the door. Hey, turn that stuff off. And, you know, uh, 
I, I would say after about two years of sitting down and I took like maybe one or two formal lessons and uh, I just didn't feel like the guy was up to snuff about what I wanted to learn. So I stopped and then I just started listening to the radio a lot and I start picking things up. And once I, uh, I would, I would say after I've been playing for three or four years, I, I went to this uh, garage sale this guy was having and he had an old Telecaster for sale. And uh, at the time, I had no idea even what a Telecaster was, but I picked it up and I start noodling around on it. And the old man says, you know, I think you've got it. And I looked at him and I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you, you, you definitely have it. He goes, I'll give you a few more years, but you've got it. So I didn't know what he was talking about. But as I got a little older and as I started playing more and more, I realized what he was saying. He was telling me that I had that natural ability to uh, to play guitar. There's some people that I notice they'll play, and no matter how much they practice, they you know maybe it's their 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 practice, you know their ethics of how they practice. Uh, they never get over this certain plateau. But I think when you start younger, your mind is always so open uh, to new things and be able to develop new things. I mean, even to this day, I still practice a lot my instrument, and you know I have a desire to want to learn more and more styles different techniques um you know it's it's a it's an ongoing process for me but i i would say maybe 50 50 natural ability versus learned ability uh now that i've i've been playing for a long time i would say the natural ability seems to take over more so than the uh practical ability that i have uh, because now i've learned to set aside all the technical stuff and and just really dig from the inner part of me when i play solos and things like that uh, I just really let the soul speak. You know, I've, I've had a, a keyboard player that I used to play with. Goes, Mike, you're so versed on all this technical and flashy stuff. Because won't you put more of that in our music? And I kind of looked at him and I said, you know, I, I just don't feel like it's needed. You know, I, I think simplicity is a little bit better. And uh, and a guy that I met, a guy that used to live across the street from me in, in my younger days, you know, when I was in my teens, he actually went to a Guitar Institution of Technology. And um, he sat. He, he used to tell me on Saturday mornings he would get up and go eat breakfast with uh, a, a well-known guitar player named Paul Gilbert. Uh, he used to play in several several big bands. Um, but he used to go and sit down Saturday mornings and watch cartoons with this guy and, and, and play guitar all day long. Well, when he moved back, I took a few lessons from him, and this guy was just a phenomenal guitar player. And, you know, he, he was so fast. I mean, he can listen to a saxophone part, play it on guitar, just like that. And I was so impressed with that, his ability. I wanted to be just like that. And uh, he, he gave me a word of advice. He goes, you know what? Learn all you can learn. Uh, be all you can be, but then forget about it. Because don't let your technique overrun the style. And um, so, I, you know, I still kind of practice technique just to keep my chops up and things like that. But... When it really comes down to the song and when I'm playing, it's, it's what the song is speaking to me, uh, is how I play. You know, I kind of try to play from my emotions more so from the technical side. Oh, excellent. Going back, you mentioned a few band names, and I don't know if they're using the name ironically, but there is a church and faith as part of the band names. Um, were they anti-Christian? Were they just playing off of Christian tradi tradition, traditions, or were they actually using some Christian influences in their band. Steel Faith, I'm not sure where those guys got that name from and why they called it Steel Faith. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool that it had the word faith in there. I mean, growing up as a conservative Jew, 
And, uh, you know, God has always been a, a part of my life, whether I, I knew Yeshua or not. God had always been a, a central part of my life and my upbringing. So I've always had that that yearning in my heart for God. And uh, so when the band was called Steel Faith, I don't know why they called themselves Steel Faith. Um, musically, there was nothing anti-God about it, and there was nothing uh, pro-Christian about it either. You know, it was kind of a, a neutral stance, you know, this... Um, so I would say Steel Faith, no. Now, Metal Church, uh, those guys were a um, a pretty big band back in the 80s. They were a pretty big uh, metal band back in the day. And um, I'm not sure where why they called themselves Metal Church. I think maybe they called themselves Metal Church because they were a metal band and they thought they were the church of all metal bands or something. I, I really don't know. But, uh, you know, there, there's one song that they did do. Um, no, I'm thinking that's Accept. Now, Metal Church, they seemed a little dark to me. Um, I don't I don't really, I wouldn't consider them, those guys were Christians at all. Um, so, no, I, I, I wouldn't put any anything into that. Now, I will say all the bands that I had been a part of over the years, uh, I was always a, a important part of the music writing. And any chance I got to write lyrics or anything like that, I always had some sort of godly message in it. Whether I was a born-again Christian at the time or, you know, a Messianic Jew or whatever, actually, I was really, I knew, I knew who God was. Uh, I, I believed in God, but I didn't walk any walk with him. I didn't, you know, talk the talk. I wasn't in the, uh, in, I guess I wasn't in the game of, of, of being born again at that time. I was just kind of doing my own thing. But I still, like I said, that, that deep desire was always in me for God. So whenever I would write lyrics and stuff, you know, most of my friends, they would write lyrics about drinking and, and meeting women at the bars and things like that. Me, I was always writing lyrics about, um, you know, kind of like godly, you know, meetings and stuff, you know, just kind of like being one-on-one -on -one with God, asking God to, to help me or, or asking God to be a part of my life or, you know, and, and, and maybe that's where, I, where I'm finally, I'm at where I'm at right now is because, you know, you know, God doesn't put himself on top of us. He, he, he doesn't make us make a decision. We have to make that decision for ourselves. And, and I think he had put me in a lot of places in my life, and I've seen a lot of things. Uh, a lot of, I've been in a lot of dark places in my life, um, you know, with, with all these clubs and touring around and things that I did. I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, and, and I really believe that when he finally pulled me out of that, you know, I felt like, thank God I'm, I'm out of this. He's, he's pulled me out of it. But, you know, the strangest thing is, is now that he's built me up so strong and who I am in him, he puts me right back out in some of those venues as downpour. And we play for some of these crowds, some of these secular people. And uh, I have, you know, I have no temptation to want to drink or, 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 or do any of the things I used to do with these people. But at the same time, I'm there, you know, wanting to love them and show them that there's a better way to live than the way they're living. So, yeah, to get to your original question, those a lot of the, the bands that, you know, I mentioned, Steel Faith and Metal Church, no, I wouldn't say there was any kind of Christian overtones with that at all. Right. It seems like you can even, uh, you can get away with a little more imagery when you're not a Christian band. Um, it seems like the Christian bands can't be so on the nose that they've got to... Uh, keep the name more generic if they want to play at a, a club, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Downpour, um, 
sometimes, you know, the, the, the name itself doesn't really cause us any problems. I think what causes us problems, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, I find it interesting because God, you know, he's going to open whatever doors he chooses to open. And as long as you're willing to walk through them, um, he's going to bless it. And, and what I have found is, you know, Downpour, when we first started off, we were really nothing more than a Christian cover band playing all the popular Christian songs out there, going into different churches and doing youth rallies. And that was kind of what we did. And, you know, right before AMF came up, um, all of a sudden we started writing music. And I, I was that CD that we put out in three months time, we wrote all 12 songs, recorded them, mastered them, mixed them, mastered them, pressed them and released the CD within three months and right in the nick of time for AMF to start. So, you know, I, I really didn't even think we were going to be at AMF because we wasn't an original band. We was just a cover band. And all of a sudden, the Lord just gave us all these songs. And the thing with Downpour is our music, you, you can't, it's kind of hard to place us as a, a Christian band. Uh, you can definitely put us in that messianic rock. I mean, you can also kind of consider us a, a, a Christian band as well. You know, we, we connect with both sides of the world here. Uh, you know, unity is what we're really striving for. But the the thing is about our music, we proclaim God's word. We proclaim his name. Uh, we, we don't hide it. A lot of your mainstream Christian bands out there and, and a lot of these bands I love, like, you know, Third Day and, and guys like that and, and uh, Jeremy Camp. And, you know, there's just so many uh, great talent out there. Um, a lot of their music, you kind of, you know, if you didn't know who they were, especially... Um, that band Switchfoot. Have you ever heard of Switchfoot? Oh, well, definitely. Actually, uh, they went to the same college as me, uh, University of California, San Diego. Oh, that's awesome, man. I'm, I mean, I saw them at uh, Campbell University right down the street from me uh, not too long ago. And, you know, and I didn't really, I mean, when I first heard of Switchfoot, I, I wasn't a born-again person. I didn't even know they were a Christian band, and they were on secular radio. And I would have never known they were a Christian band. But once I got saved and I was all into this new music that I was being uh, inspired by, I was listening to Switchfoot. I said, hey, you know what? That's the same band that's on the radio, on the secular stations. And I realized, I was like, well, I didn't know they were a Christian band, but, you know, a lot of their music, I don't see, you know, I haven't found any of their music to really point you to the way, you know, to God. And when I saw them in concert, especially Campbell University, who's supposed to be a Christian university, they didn't say one word about God. And uh, I think that kind of sets downpour apart from a lot of these mainstream Christian bands. And uh, it's because our music, you know, in every step of the way, it exalts God. It talks about God, how holy he is, and, and uh, worshiping him or, or raising his banner, being a light to the nations or asking him to, to live with us, you know. And when we go out to these bars and these clubs sometimes that we do get a chance to play in, that's the, I think that's the hardest thing for us. And like you're saying, you know, a lot of these Christian bands, they got to hide who they are because, you know, so they can get into these secular venues. I think it should be the opposite. I think, you know, we should get these secular venues to allow us to come in and be who we're supposed to be. So that way we can be the light and, and get these people who are in these secular venues saved. You know, that, that we can, uh, you know, we're supposed to go out and feed the lost with the word of God. And uh, it's been kind of cool because I tell you, the last time Downpour played was at one of the bigger venues here in Raleigh uh, when we played a secular venue. It was about, we had probably 35 or 40 people show up that we knew, and several people from Shire Shalom showed up. So I kind of felt like they were our Aaron and we were the Moses, and they were helping us hold up the staff. 
But you know what impressed me the most? There was like 10 or 15 people bum-rushed the stage after we were done. And they didn't know us at all. They were secular people. They were there to, to do, uh, you know, in, with another band. And, you know, those were the people who bought our CD. And they signed our mailing list and wanted to see us again. So I thought I was really amazed because I was like, well, God is doing something uh, amongst us. You know, we just need to be obedient and do it. You know, I, and my advice to any band um, who's going to go out there and, and proclaim, you know, the good news, don't be afraid to say, say it for what it is. Don't hide it in your lyrics. Let your lyrics speak it and then go out there and proclaim it and sing it and, 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 and sing it like you mean it. You know, I met this uh, young lady at the Messiah Conference when we played there. And, um, I, you know, sometimes when you're in tune with the Spirit of God and you just allow the Spirit to speak through you, uh, you have no idea what you're going to say. And um, when we was at the Messiah Conference, I started talking about, you know, the ministry of our band, what what we're for, you know, what we do. And, and uh, one of the things was, you know, one of the things that I said was, you know, we like to go out into secular venues and to be alike. And uh, I don't know why I was saying these things, you know, at the Messiah Conference. It really didn't matter why. I, I don't know why I was saying it. But after the show was over with and I went back to the table to sell CDs, this, this girl came up to me. She was probably 17 years old um, and, and wanted to buy one of our CDs. And she was talking to me and she was asking me for advice because she had just started a band with a, a group of other individuals. Um, and they too were thinking about going out into these secular venues and, and playing and, uh, being a light to people. And, uh, and I thought that was kind of cool because here, these words that I spoke that I had not planned on speaking, um, inspired her, you know, and I thought that was really great. You know, that is kind of what you would hope to do that the spirit works through you to inspire others and to encourage others. And here she is, she was like telling me, and I, and, and my advice to her was if you're strong enough to do it, and you feel like you can go into these secular venues and be a woman of God and stand on God's word and not be tempted by the things that are out there, I'd say go for it. Don't be afraid to do it. I said, but don't be afraid to proclaim God's name and speak his name. Because I was afraid the first few times I went out into the secular venues because I used to play those secular venues as a secular artist. And the thing is, in this area, a lot of people know me. And, uh, I was, you know, at first I was kind of like, wow, you know, this person might see me, this person might see me and they're going to go, oh, you know, Mike's a Jesus freak or, or whatever, you know, and which I don't mind all that. I mean, but I just kind of didn't want to put off the wrong vibe, you know, that I'm some religious person. Uh, so, but the thing was, is after the first two gigs that, you know, when I got to that next gig that we did, I felt so free and so bold to, to speak about Yeshua and to speak about the, the gospel that, that he came to, to deliver to us, our salvation. And I felt so free to do that. Uh, it was kind of, and you know, somebody was telling me, he goes, well, that's scriptural it, that Paul was even talking about being bold. And I was like, yeah, I felt that boldness for the first time in my life. You know, going to the Messiah conference or going to the church or going to a, a, a festival where, you know, you're going to be surrounded by believers. There's no risk in that. You know, you're, you're, you're going out there, and you know you can speak about God all you want, and nobody's going to throw a tomato in your face or any any crazy stuff like that. But you go to a secular venue, you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, what I'm finding is there's a lot of people out there that love God. They just have no idea how uh, to seek Him. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, over the years, Christianity has kind of uh, 
made a, you know, there's, there's people in, you know, I'm not saying Christianity is a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, Messianic Judaism is a great thing. Christianity, if it's bringing you to the Lord, it's a good thing, but there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hypocrites out there and they're the ones who give the, these movements a bad name. Uh, and people are put off by that. So when you see a band like us who can relate to, to just normal day secular people, and, you know, like Paul, he went to the Hebrews. He was a Hebrew. He went to the Gentiles. He was a Gent. He went to the Greek. He was a Greek. I feel like as a band, you know, we need to be chameleons, so to speak. You know, if we're going to go play in front of a Christian crowd, we need to be like them. We need to speak like them. But, but I do now I do uh, like to teach them about Messianic Judaism because I think that's a need that needs to be done. Uh, so I do do that, you know, and then but when you go into the secular crowd, you know, you got to kind of be like them. You got to kind of flow with them. Of course, you're not going to speak, you know, some of the language that they speak, but you know, you, you kind of got to flow with, with their, their groove and just kind of be who they are. But at the same time, show them love and that, that you're there to share the good news with them. And, and you're not going to do it in a condemning way. Yeah. But, um, no, so I understand it. It's a different message between songs, but uh, you're not actually changing the lyrics or tweaking the lyrics a little between uh, different shows are you no not at all i mean we we what what you hear on our cd is what we deliver at our shows okay and to their credit swishfoot does have a few i think what they do is they have a few deep tracks that that really talk about it and that way they at least their their personal approach is that they'll you know their popular songs and um you know have the the mainstream audience and the and hopefully it gets them, you know, interested in in the message or interested in the deep, you know, the tracks on the CD. So that's, that's one approach. Uh, personally, I mean, I have the same philosophy as you where we uh, take our songs uh, directly from Scripture. How do you go about getting secular concerts? Is there a different approach for working with booking agents? No, that that's kind of, um, I think the, the Lord just opened a door for that. You know, we, us and the band had talked about possibly doing it. And, you know, it was kind of a joke at first between us, you know, we were like, yeah, yeah, we can go to, you know, there's one of the local venues. We can go to the poorhouse and play there. And, and I just kind of laughed at these guys. And I was like, man, you really think we can play the poorhouse? And, you know, they, they're trying to sell beer there and you get people drunk and, and we're trying to, to put the spirit of God in them, you know, you know, so it was kind of a joking matter at first. And, um, uh, it, like I said, God is good. He opens up so many doors when you least expect it. And uh, I got an email from somebody through Reverb Nation, and uh, they said, hey, I, would, I really like your band, and I would like to, to do some bookings for you. And uh, so I kind of responded to this person, and then next thing I know, guess the, pl- the, guess the place that she had ready for us to play was the poorhouse. <laughs> and uh, I went back to the guys, and I, I I told the guys, I said, you're not going to believe this when I tell you this, but we've been offered a show at the poorhouse. And uh, at first, you know, especially our bass player, he was just like, oh, I don't know about that, man. And, you know, it was, you know, we had to do some little bit of debate within the band, whether this is the route we wanted to go. But I think ultimately we felt that, you know, uh, as uncomfortable uh, as it might, I'm sorry, I'll take that back. The poorhouse wasn't the first show. It was a, place called um i think it closed down like two weeks or so after we played it it was called a place called volume 11 and i'm going to tell you i used to play there as a secular artist and that was one of the most darkest i mean they had gargoyles on either side of the stage and and when we walked in there that night 
uh, they, I mean, you can smell people burning the weed all over the place. I mean, it was just, it was very, very dark. But the way we got that show was this lady responded to me, and I responded back to her. Uh, the company was called Afton. Um, uh, you kind of have to, you know, they take you on, and you kind of have to promote your own show and sell tickets to the show and, and this and that, and they kind of guarantee you your pay. And, and, and it's, a, it's a kind of a good setup, but the bad thing is the tickets usually cost more than what you could, you know, at, at, without them. You know, they're gonna, they've got to make their piece. But I looked at it as this is a way in to some of these venues. So um, they got us into volume 11, and I told the lady straight up, I was like, look, I just want to be uh, up front with you that, you know, I pretty much told her we were a Christian band, you know, for lack of a, any better word, that's the, the only thing I could figure that she would understand is that our message was a message of the gospel, and we weren't there to promote drinking and sexuality and drugs and, and all these sort of things. And, um, and, she, and she replied, I, I thought she was just going to say, okay, well, never mind. But instead, she replied back to me and said, well, that's cool. I don't mind booking you guys as long as you don't mind playing. So I gave her three opportunities to shut us down, you know, and I, and I told her exactly how we were and what we were about and, you know, that the venue might not appreciate us because, you know, we're, we're not going to be promoting alcohol sales. Instead, of we're going to be promoting something completely different. And she kept on saying, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I don't mind. I don't mind. And so me and the guys decided to do it. And then that led to another show, which the next one was at the poorhouse. And we did that one. And then that one led, and in my, you know, I, I had a desire to really want to play the Lincoln Theater, uh, which is one of the bigger venues around here. And I thought, you know, there's just really no way that a band like us is going to get in there. And uh, one, of, one of the friends I have from Shy Ray Shalom put a post on Facebook, and, hey, why don't you guys play the Lincoln Theater? And I'll say, yeah, I would love to play the Lincoln Theater. I just don't think they would allow us to play. Well, guess what? A week later, I got an invite to play the Lincoln Theater through the same company. And so now we're at the Lincoln Theater playing. So that's kind of how we got into the secular venues. But what we're trying to do now is trying to, uh, because I, I, I'm, by playing some of these venues, I've made some contacts with those people in the venues. And uh, like the poorhouse, they'll let us come in there and play. In fact, they, they don't care whether I put a Christian bill together or whatever, you know, what as long as... The thing is about these venues, they want to sell alcohol. That's where they make their money. And so more than likely, you're not going to get a Friday or a Saturday night show unless you can pack more people in at the door and charge more money at the door for tickets that are going to counteract their alcohol sales. So, you know, these people are willing to do Sunday nights, Monday nights, things of that nature. But what, what I really would like to do is build a scene around here. You know, every city has their own music scene. And I would love to see a music scene built in the Raleigh area that is for Christian bands, Messianic bands, you know, and the like. Any in local talent that's going to exalt God and start a scene that would just kind of generate people, you know, and, and teach these clubs, hey, you might not make any alcohol sales, but you can sell water, you can sell food, you can do this, charge a little bit more money at the door, so that way you can make your money, and, and that way that, you know, bands like us will have a place to go out into the secular world and, and bring our own fans out there and, and kind of be a light to those who are just going to show up. Because uh, let's face it, you know, when you when you go in and if you're playing in churches, you're, you're what's the chances of you really reaching a lot of lost souls? I mean, you know, we all know in the pews there's a lot of people that need help too, but um, I, I really believe, you know, Yeshua went out into the world, and I really believe we should go out into the world 
as well as everywhere else. I mean, we're not we're not a band that's just going to stick to secular venues, but we want to play wherever. We do a lot of uh, shows and venues that are are geared for Christian youth. You know, they're like, like kind of like coffee house venues. They they have pool tables and stuff like that, and 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 their whole ministry is is they want to bring the youth in so they have a place to go and hang out and listen to good you know good music with a good message but as far as breaking into the secular the scene i i think for for most christian bands it's kind of pretty easy actually because a lot of the christian bands around here that break into the music scene they um you know especially the hardcore guys you know the, the guys who do a lot of screaming they just kind of blend they blend with the sound and you really and when you're screaming the lyrics you really have to pay attention to what they're saying so these venues don't really care. They just care about the numbers. But a band like us, it's a little bit harder because, you know, we're a little older. We're not about a bunch of screaming, and our lyrics are pretty much cut and clear what we sing about. But I believe God opens the doors as he needs to open them, and that's kind of how we've broken into the secular venues to this point. I hope it goes farther than what it is now. That's good advice. Now, I would say, um, obviously, you guys aren't the loudest probably the loudest band in the scene um but you guys are are pretty loud do you think people can hear your lyrics clearly even though it's a little bit of the hard rock um i would hope so i mean um i mean i haven't i haven't really i mean the only people that have really seemed to have a hard time understanding some of our words is, is the older people um you know like my mom and she i mean she knows our lyrics because she listens to the cd all the time uh, but there's been times where we played and she goes, you know, I just couldn't hear, couldn't hear your words clearly. Uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the venue that you're playing at and, but, uh, but, you know, people my age and younger and, you know, I haven't really had any problems with people understanding the lyrics. Uh, I, I think I, I, I think my diction is pretty good as far as singing goes. Um, okay. you know, I don't, I, I've never, I haven't had any problems with anybody. I mean, but who's to say? <laughs> right. Okay, and uh, you know, I've only visited the area you know, a few times, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with it. it um, personally, it seems like uh, you know the Raleigh Cary area would be a smaller city. Is it a thriving city? Is there a large music scene there? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a huge music scene. It's changed over the years. Um, uh, you know, from I mean, I, I became a part of the music scene around here in the early '90s, and uh, back then we used to it used to be called what we call the A circuit. And uh, you know, back then, in order to get a show, you had to be a 50 percent. You had to do 50 percent covers, and you had to do 50 percent, no more than 50 percent originals. Uh, and you know, you got paid well and it was just usually one or two bands and, uh, all these bands that you would see, they were, they were of the caliber musicianship that used to come right out of the eighties. Um, and that's kind of what the early nineties was like around here. Uh, It was a pretty big, well-to-do music scene. And then it kind of flipped and, uh, more original stuff started coming forward. And then we had what we call the hardcore scene started coming out where the music started getting faster and heavier and you know where you couldn't really understand the lyrics so much and um and then the next thing you know it went from being 50 50 50 type bands to where you had to be an all original band and you couldn't play for no more than 30 minutes and you had to you know share the stage with three four or five bands on any given night 
so the scene kind of changed drastically. And, you know, there was a lot of good bands that come through, and there was a lot of good bands that came up out of this area from that. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of garbage at the same time. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of, you know, Raleigh has always had a, a really good music scene. There, there's kind of like a di different genres. You know, there, there's places where you can go catch jazz, and then there's a really big blues scene around here, uh, you know, that we're in the South. There's a really big blues scene. At, at one time, it was, I, no matter what bar I'd go into, you know, always somebody was playing some Stevie Ray Vaughan or something like that, to the point where I was just sick and tired of hearing it. Uh, but yeah, it was a big time blues scene. There's still a big time blues scene around here. And uh, there's also a, a pretty big original scene as well. There's a lot of bands uh in the, in and out of the area that come here to play uh, there's a lot of popular venues that people like to come and play but um yeah i would say the music scene here in the area is is pretty good i, I would like to see a, a christian music scene or or you know a scene just that's geared more for believers to pop wide open uh because i think we need it really bad but you know that that's one of that's just a dream of mine i guess well excellent so we'll continue talking um and we'll have a second part for this podcast. But for the people listening just to the first part, where can you find your band's music? The easiest place to get us is right on our website. We have our, our, our music store right there that takes you directly to CD Baby. So you can get physical copies and download. And it's also the cheapest place to go. But our website is thedownpourband.com, www.thedownpourband.com. And then if you want to connect with us on our fan page through Facebook, um, it's uh, just type in the Downpour Band, Facebook the Downpour Band, and like us. You can uh, you can also get our music store that way. But other than that, we're you know we're on iTunes, we're on Amazon, all the normal places. But I would say the best and easiest and quickest and the cheapest is uh, going through CD Baby directly off our website, which is thedownpourband.com. We close out the podcast by playing a song from your band. Um, what song would you want to play? And could you give a little description for it? Hmm. What's your favorite song? Well, uh, Pierce the Darkness. Yeah, for some reason, I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, you can you can play Pierce the Darkness, and uh, I'll give you a little history on how that song came about. Um, I mean, I, I love all of our songs, so it, you know, I'm kind of right. biased towards it all. But <laughs> but Pierce the Darkness is uh, you know the way that song came about when we started writing music. Uh, you know, everybody in the band has, has a potential of writing and has you know lyrical ideas and musical ideas. And uh, our drummer, Larry, he came to me and he's like, oh, man, let me show you this this lick. You know, he, he can play, you know, a little bit of guitar. You know, he's mainly a drummer, but he can play a little bit of guitar. So he busts out this lick and, uh, and I'm sitting there listening to it. And I'm kind of looking at him in amazement going, wow, you know, I don't think this guy realizes, but that's kind of like an 80s metal riff all over it. You know, it's kind of got that hard, grungy sound to it. Uh, and I was kind of shocked that it, it even came from him. And uh so he came up with this riff, and he had some lyrics that he, you know, he didn't have the whole song. He just kind of had an idea, and he had some lyrical ideas to it. And um, and I kind of started playing the riff to the way he, he was trying to show me and, of course, embellishing a little bit on it. And then um, then I, I went into my, uh, I went home after practice. I kind of had a little mock recording of it. And then uh, I came up with a bunch of different parts, like, you know, the part where it's just, uh, it seems like the drums just take off on an odd timing, and uh, you know it's, it's like da 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 da, you know, kind of a, a lot of weird off timing, off beat sort of stuff. Uh, I came up with that part and the rhythm for the solo, and 
and uh, the chorus rhythm, and then kind of help finish up some of the lyrics. Me and him were bouncing lyrical ideas, and then I come up with the uh, the line for the chorus, and um, and it was just kind of it was just kind of strange. I brought this new idea to the band. I was like, okay, this is kind of what I come up with out of what you showed me. And, uh, you know, we spent about a week trying to get some of those odd timing things down. Um, I have a tendency to write some weird kind of rhythmic type of things sometimes. And, uh, and you know, we, we worked on it pretty hard. And once we got it, we, we all realized, like, wow, you know, this is, like, probably going to be one of the heavier songs we have. And uh, that's where the, the whole, I, that's how Pierce the Darkness came about. But, you know, the song itself it is, is to me is a message of us being the salt and the light of this earth and raising the banner of Yeshua and, and telling people in the world, you know, you know, change our hearts, change the hearts of the fathers and the children too, uh, you know, raise that banner. And, and on top of that, when you get into the course line, it's like you hear the lion roaring, you know, it's to me, it's like a prophetic thing that the lion of Judah is about to roar, you know, and, and the people of Israel, they're, they're, they don't know it yet, but there's some things that are getting ready to happen to them. There's some things that's going to happen to them in their in, in their in their little world. And you know, we all need to be in prayer for for Israel and, and the the things that are mounting up against them. But you know, I look at Pierce the Darkness as Yeshua is coming back as a roaring lion, and he's going to pierce the darkness of this world, whether whether we like it or not. And if you want to be a part of that, I would say you know, let's raise his banner as high as we possibly can and bring as many people along with us as we can. And that, that to me, in a nutshell, is what Pierce of Darkness is about. Well, excellent. Okay, well, here's the title track from Downpour's album, Pierce of Darkness, and it's available at thedownpourband.com. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the Messianic Media Podcast. Like us on Facebook.com slash Messianic Media. Send any comments to MessianicMedia at gmail.com and you can subscribe to us on iTunes.